you didn't get to hear there, Will um, dressed as a Gnostic, uh, talking in a very strange voice with a kind of uh, very nylon-like beard, which is what we got this morning. Um, <laughs> we, we, found, we had so much fun making these kids' um, family service trailers, lots of hysterical laughter and tears when we were making them, but you need to be here in the morning if you want to catch those. So if we haven't met, my name is Louis, and I am married to Will, who was the shy Gnostic in our film this morning. Um, and I'm the curate here. I've been um, working here over the last year. As um, Tim mentioned, we're in this series looking at the complete Jesus, exploring who Jesus is and was, and busting some heresies about who he wasn't. And tonight we are talking about Gnosticism. Before I trained as a priest, I used to work as a journalist, and one of the things I loved the most about journalism was that I'd be given some quite random, often, topic and told to go away, research, read, interview, and um, it often led to some quite unusual experiences. I was once asked to go away and take a class in Krav Maga and then write about it. Now, um, if you've watched the Bourne movies, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's an Israeli martial arts and um, you might not look at me, I'm not dressed tonight in my Krav Maga gear, am I? But um, I can do a little bit of Krav Maga, um, an interesting qualification that I've got up my sleeve. I might have a degree and I might have professional qualifications and I might um, know a little bit about Krav Maga, but today I want to say that none of this can save me. None of that can save me. Google, however, might attempt to argue with me otherwise. And if you've been to the cinema recently, you might have seen the latest Google ad, which says, the more we learn, the more we get. The more we learn, the more we get. I wonder, have you bought into that notion? We're going to turn now to our passage for this evening, which is Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 9, which you might like to look up. And I think, yes, also up on the screen for us. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. When Paul penned these words to the Ephesians, he had two strands of common cultural thinking in his mind. He was writing about salvation. And firstly, he was saying to the Jewish believers who thought that they could gain their salvation by racking up good works. He was saying, no, 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 you've got that all wrong. You can't save yourself by the good things that you do. It's by grace through faith given to you that you can be saved. And then secondly, and this is the strand of thinking that we're going to be looking at this evening, many in Paul's context were Gnostics. So they believed that their salvation would come through their inner knowledge, if you like, through their inner esoteric spirituality. And so Paul is saying here again, no, you've got confused. You're confused about salvation. Look there at verse 8. It says that you are saved by grace alone through faith, and this isn't from you. It's not from yourselves. It's not something that you can do. It's the gift of God. 
So just to unpack Gnosticism a little bit more, um, Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge, and it likely emerged in the first century and then developed um, in the second century. There were lots of little groups and pockets of Gnostics, and some of them held quite different beliefs to each other, so it's not the simplest um, philosophy to box, if you like. But most Gnostics believe that Jesus was a messenger or a redeemer who'd brought this special knowledge of salvation to humanity's imprisoned soul. The Gnostics were Docetics, if you remember um, back to Tim's sermon on Docetism a few weeks ago, and they believed that Jesus uh, wasn't actually human. He only seemed to have a human body. And so they denied the bodily resurrection of Jesus, and they thought that as followers of Jesus, we wouldn't be uh, resurrected in a bodily way after we die either. So Gnosticism was all about this emphasis on the knowledge, in the mind, on the inner spirituality. And it was essentially a personal salvation cult for just a special few chosen people. It identified the spiritual world as good and matter as evil. Just like the Christian Gnostics in Paul's time, it would be quite easy for us today to emphasize certain scriptures um, and turn towards a Gnostic uh, way of thinking. You might think of Jesus where he said, my kingdom is not of this world. And in John, uh, 1 John 2, it says, don't love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So why then is Gnosticism a heresy? And why does it even matter? I want to take you back to um, when Will and I were students at Oxford. We met during our time at university. And um, we used to have these quite academic chats and debates over theology, over supper. We were both studying theology there. And um, Will was given this placement to do um, in the Linden unit in Oxford, which is a senile dementia clinic. And our conversations over dinner suddenly changed from being kind of academic chats about salvation and all kinds of things like, um, like heresies and things into gosh, how does this work when someone doesn't have their mental critical faculties? What happens then? And I remember him telling me about one woman, let's call her Sarah, and she could make no sound except for to moan. And she was in a room of her own, and Will would go and see her. And we'd talk about how could he... How could he explain anything of Jesus to her? How could he communicate anything of the love of God to this women in this difficult place. And then one day he went along and began singing hymns. And he sang Amazing Grace and How Great Thou Art. And this woman who he'd never heard make any sound except for a moan, suddenly opened her mouth and joined in the songs. There was another woman who um, shouted aggressively in Polish at will at anyone, at everyone, and she was in a, a room on her own because it was quite distressing for some of the other patients. Um, every time he visited her, she shouted aggressively in Polish at him. Um, and I remember we talk about that, and he was quite frustrated about what on earth to, to say and do. And the last time he went, the last day of his placement there, he prayed a desperate prayer that the Lord would do something in her, speak to her, communicate with her in some way. And then suddenly she spoke to him in English and she said, you a good boy, you always visit me, you pray for me. And I think he must have had that warm glow inside that she had communicated with him. The Holy Spirit was so clearly at work in that place. 
there wasn't necessarily an intellectual engagement, but there was prayerful faith at work. And God doesn't need any more from us than faith. And faith the size of a mustard seed is enough for the Lord to work. I remember that as Will and I uh, prayed over some of those people's stories and lives um, and cried together over some of their stories, it dawned on me um, in a full way uh, for the first time that I could study all I liked, (laughs) but that would never change my standing before the Lord as one who's loved by him and as one who's saved by grace and by absolutely nothing else. Salvation is possible for anyone of any intellectual standing, of any emotional or psychological standing, in whatever season we are in our life. Because the Lord sees the heart, and he's not impressed by qualifications. Here's another knock-on of Gnostic thinking. If it's all about head knowledge, if, the, if our Christian faith is just about what's going on in here, then what about our bodies? What goes on with our bodies? What happened with the Gnostics was that it led to very licentious behavior in some cases. What did the body, body matter? Um, if nothing matters, then what's housed within it? In other cases, they were deeply ascetic, so... Um, These groups of people denied themselves all physical pleasures. They um, beat and berated their bodies, if you like. And we actually can move in these directions ourselves. If all of our faith is centered on our learning and our thinking and getting it correct in the mind, becoming hyper-spiritual, if you like, we can move towards a very disintegrated experience of self, where our body becomes something to use for selfish pleasure or to punish or not to bother to look after. But our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And this kind of thinking sits very neatly, it aligns very well with the message of our secular modern culture, which is that your faith is deeply personal, it shouldn't impact your politics, it shouldn't impact what you do on a Monday morning, it shouldn't impact your professional choices or your interaction with the environment. But actually, that's not the sort of faith that we've been called to. So what about um, the impact of a Gnostic outlook on our attitude to the environment? I know that um, COP26, having been on, that's been a topic that's probably been on many of our hearts and minds in the last um, week or so. And many evangelical Christians over the years have downplayed the relevance of climate change because, again, of this deep focus uh, on inner salvation and this sense that the material world is really secondary and that we just need to focus on telling everyone the message of Jesus and everything else just is really secondary or tertiary or doesn't really matter. And it's that age-old division of the sacred and the secular and which has been um, used to justify an ignorance or an apathy towards caring for our world. If you think also about um, the promise that the Bible gives us of a bodily resurrection and a renewed world uh, that we're given to those who believe in Jesus, in Gnostic Gnostic thinking, that becomes a real problem. Um, The Gnostics wanted to escape the prison of the body uh, when they died, and therefore, why would they need to be uh, resurrected if everything was focused on the mind? 
So let's think for a minute about the truth of Jesus in the face of this. As we've been exploring through this uh, sermon series, the truth of who Jesus is does really matter in the face of this sort of heresy. Jesus was fully physically human and had a normal human body. And that consequently means that our bodies and our environment do matter. The spiritual can't be divorced from the secular because God created all of it. And he longs to renew all of it and return all of it to himself. Revelation 21 says, see, I am making all things new. Another thought on uh, those years when I was um, studying at Oxford and I was there, um, when I arrived to do my BA, I realized very quickly in some lectures that a lot of my lecturers didn't actually have a Christian faith. They spent all day teaching about the Christian faith, but many of them didn't actually believe. And it was the same for a lot of the theology and philosophy students. Um, I think there was quite an effort to make us lose our faith, actually, in some, in some cases. Um, but why didn't they, I found myself wondering, why didn't they believe anymore? And I think it's because they'd taken the, thea, the theos out of theology. You can study religion until you're blue in the face, but you won't find faith unless you keep the person of Jesus Christ at the heart of your studies. So finally, three things from our passage today that refute Gnostic thinking once and for all. Salvation is a matter of life and death. It's not an airy, fairy, esoteric journey of spiritual betterment. In verses 4 and 5, it says, God made us alive with Christ when we were dead in transgressions or sins. Salvation doesn't become by a gradual journey of becoming ever better or ever more spiritually learned. When you say, I believe in Jesus and I accept his grace for me, we go instantaneously from death into life. And when we believe in Jesus, we can be fully assured of heaven, of a full bodily resurrection when we die. That's what Paul means in verse 6. You get this funny little phrase that says that we've been raised up with Christ and seated in the heavenly realms. And then he uh, promises that he will go on to show us the incomparable riches of his grace by his kindness. So we will mature and grow spiritually, but not because of our striving or our intellect or our ability or our education or our background, because God in his kindness wants to gift us with the fullness of faith. And then in verse 8, Paul says it again. Faith is the gift of God to you. Salvation is not something to be achieved. And you can't even boast about it because you haven't done it. He's done it all. All we're called to do is humbly accept that gift of salvation. And then to give it away to somebody else. To give it away to somebody else. It sounds ridiculously simple, doesn't it? It is ridiculously simple. but it is also not easy. I'm sure many of us in this room would testify to that. And we may be heavily critiqued for choosing to turn to Christ or the decisions that perhaps your faith is prompting you to make at the moment. Some of us in this room will be getting heavy critique by friends or family members, colleagues, for the sorts of choices that your faith is leading you to make. 
When uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he again is writing um, in, in that book very, very clearly for Gnostic readers and believers. And he says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. In Paul's time, just as today, the message that Jesus was fully human and yet fully God, and that he died on the cross to set us free and enable our salvation, was ridiculed as foolish and irrelevant. That's exactly how many in our culture would see it today. I was um, cycling along the, the path. We live in Barnes, and I often cycle into church here, into work, um, just along the river path. And I'm a bit naughty because I often weave in and out because there's quite a lot of puddles and potholes and I'm trying to avoid going through the really bad ones so I don't get sprayed in mud. And I was doing that and, and um, an elderly gentleman, I was basically on the wrong side and he said, you're meant to be on the other side. And then he looked at me and he said, idiot. <laughs> and I remember that, you know, that feeling of like injustice. <laughs> How dare you say that to me? I'm not an idiot. And then thinking, no, I, I was in the wrong. I shouldn't be cycling on that side. And I needed to forgive him. But it um, felt like the Lord said to me at that moment, that's exactly how many people here feel because somebody is saying to you, you idiot, for the choices that you're making. But the Lord says, no, this is wisdom. This message is wisdom. The salvation of Jesus Christ is wisdom. And maybe in our culture, it makes more sense to be a good person, to get ever more educated, to get more informed, to get more culturally aware and more skilled up. And if you like, that's Gnosticism in um, our culture. Will's going to be, and, and Johnny's going to be speaking more on that next week. But the reality is that this offer of salvation for you is truly simple. And it's not dependent on any of those things. It's freely offered to you today. Will you accept it? I'd love you to stand um, together, and we're going to pray. I'm going to invite the band um, to come up. And let's just um, take a moment, open our hands, and um, know that the Holy Spirit's already working among us here and has been working. But I want to pray um, this evening um, a prayer of inviting Jesus into our lives. For some of us, um, we may never have done that. And I want to give you the opportunity to pray that if you haven't. So I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you've never invited Jesus to come in um, to your life, I'd love you to echo that in your hearts. Lord, today I accept the truth that it is by grace that I am saved not by my works, not by my intellect, not by my knowledge or anything else I am or am not or have or have not. Thank you for the free gift of grace. Thank you for the gift of faith. Forgive me for my mistakes today and I receive your promise of salvation. would love um, that if you've prayed that prayer for the first time, that you talk to uh, Tim, Laura, Will, myself, any, any of the leaders in the church, because we'd love to pray for you personally and talk to you further about moving forward in faith from here. 
And I'd love to pray also this evening for those of us who are being ridiculed or belittled um, for our faith. Lord, we um, ask you now that for any of us here who are feeling that sense of being ridiculed for what we stand for, for what we believe in, Lord, come today. Fill us again with your spirit and with your courage. Increase our faith, Lord. Thank you that your word is wisdom, that your truth is wisdom. Give us your perspective, Lord, and may your, may your voice, Lord, be louder ringing in our ears than anything negative said to us because of our faith in you. Lord, I pray as well that you would show us how to give this simple gift away to others. Reveal to each one of us who you uh, want us to share your message of love and goodness with, Lord. I'm going to invite him to come now. <laughs>